Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Will we be relaxing after work with our vape pen or a joint or a pipe or whatever rather than our our wine glasses? All right. So can you be here by 4 o'clock? Because that's how we do happy hour in Colorado. (laughs) Nice. Let's let's get you out here because that's exactly what happens at 4 o'clock in Colorado. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, where it's always four o'clock in Colorado somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules, or in today's case, make the rules in what is the fastest growing industry in the U.S. And it's not handbags, ladies. <laughs> We're talking about the almost $10 billion legal cannabis industry. And according to headlines, women are ruling leading the charge and quote-unquote clapping back in all corners of the cannabis industry. Oh, clapping back. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And I mean, you can hear it in the names of all these new distributors, media, and events that have been popping up. Things like Elevate Jane Dispensary, Canagold Bath Bombs, which I'm trying to get my hands on but haven't yet because we're in Georgia. I know. And the Ganja Goddess Getaway. Feel free to invite us, P.S. Yeah, yeah. We we will go to there. Uh, also, Caroline, I even ordered us a copy of Broccoli Magazine hailed as the new Vogue for stoners. But true to stoner form, <laughs> it has not yet arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be like super chic when it does show up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I, I know I won't be disappointed. But listen, legalization has opened up a whole Wild West industry out there. And it's new enough that sexism isn't already baked into the business culture. Oh, you just made your pun face. Totally. Which is why everybody's seeing dollar signs for women gondrepreneurs. But today, Caroline, we ask not what cannabis can do for women, but what women can do for the cannabis industry. And to do that, we're exploring the business through the eyes of three super rad women that y'all are going to love. A kick-ass Colorado dispensary owner who's got more than just business on her mind— a period pain-solving weed wizard, and a joint-loving journalist looking to shed some realistic light on the plant. As we're going to hear, they're each adding something to this industry, all while claiming their own slices of the big weed brownie. The first 
lady we're talking to checks all the boxes when it comes to women in the weed industry success stories. Caroline, she puts the biz in cannabis. It very much is a business. And I really want people to understand that, you know, it's not like you walk in and there's, you know, Cheech and Chong in the corner and everybody's blazing, (laughs) you know, we're all sit back and chill. That's what's going on in the back room. You know, it's none of that. Wanda James is a Navy veteran and a political mover and shaker who worked on Obama's finance committee. And we're talking to her today because she's also the CEO of Simply Pure Dispensary in Denver, Colorado. In fact, she and her husband, Scott, are the first African-Americans to own a dispensary in the state. And she's a lifelong cannabis lover. The only time that I didn't use cannabis was the time that I spent in the military. And to be honest with you, outside of that, all of my friends... My friends who are doctors, who are business owners, who are elected officials, they all smoke cannabis. So I've never seen anything wrong with it. It's always been a big positive in my life. To Wanda, cannabis isn't just a product. It's something that she believes honestly makes people's lives better. And in some ways also makes women's lives safer. Yeah, girl. And, you know, and we've got proof. My husband and I owned a restaurant downtown Denver called Eight Rivers. When we had football games, basketball games, hockey games, whatever it may be, uh, downtown, I could not let my female bartenders close the bar by themselves. I always had to put a number of male um, bartenders or servers or managers um, just because of the number of drunk people coming through. Now, mm-hmm. just because they're drunk doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, going to do something horrible, but they're aggressive, you know? They're aggressive. And when you've got two good-looking women behind the bar, um, drunk men tend to be aggressive. Uh, and it is always an issue. Now, when we have um, the cannabis conferences in town or High Times Um, Cannabis Cup was in town, and we had lots and lots and lots of high people coming into the restaurant. Never an aggressive moment. They were always very polite. As a matter of fact, they were usually soft-spoken, happy to see you, giving you hugs, ordering food, having a good time, laughing with their friends, and not attacking my female bartenders. In 2009, when Wanda and Scott got the opportunity to go from the restaurant biz to the cannabis, they jumped at the chance. Clearly, these were good, or we thought at the time, that these would be good business ventures because, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, owning a cannabis company at the beginning of, you know, the cannabis industry would be fantastic. Fantastic, but also fantastically complicated because, remember, cannabis is still federally illegal in the U.S. What are your, um, the different facets of your business, the different facets of your (laughs) workday? Avoid the feds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Uh, No. Uh, Actually, you know what? I don't really (laughs) think much about avoiding the feds. It's Honestly, it's funny because we've had a lot of different um, producers from TV land and different places want to do, you know, oh, we want to follow you guys around and we're going to do a documentary on the life of a dispensary owner. Well, they follow us for one day and then they all decide not to do the show because it's really dull. I mean, we run a business, you know. I mean, we don't get up and get stoned with 400 people and, you know, and I mean, it's my husband and I wake up every morning. We do accounting in our business because accounting is what we do. Um, We meet for an hour. Um, He then takes the dogs for a walk. I'll go to the office. I then meet with my inventory and my GM. In other words, running a legal weed business involves a lot of unsexy work. 
I'm in total communication every day with our compliance person because everything that we do requires <laughs> a, a background from an attorney on it, from every ad that we put out. For example, we can't say, um, we're going to give you a free pre-roll for every $100 that you buy. It has to be a penny pre-roll because you can't give weed away. I mean, it's all of those ridiculous things that you've got to do to run a business, and it's daunting, and it's, it's running a business every day. Wanda is motivated by a lot of things, a desire to succeed, to help the industry thrive, but she also has a very personal motivation. I didn't know anybody that was arrested for pot until I'd met my brother. That's how crazy it was here in Colorado. It was just never, I didn't know anybody that was ever arrested for possession of cannabis. See, Wanda didn't meet her half-brother until 1999 after their dad died. He had told me, you know, he's a sis, you know, I just got out of prison. And it was like my heart stopped and my stomach just, oh, God. And I was preparing myself to hear, you know, I murdered somebody. I was part of a gang. I shot somebody, you know, I robbed a family at gunpoint. I robbed a 7-Eleven, you know, I beat somebody up within an inch of their life, you know. I mean, that's what I was expecting to hear, right, when you just mm-hmm. meet your brother and he says, I just got out of prison for a felony, right? <laughs> when he said I had four ounces of weed, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you had four ounces of weed and you beat up the cop? He's like, no, I just had four ounces of weed. I'm like, you had four ounces of weed and you pulled a gun? And he's like, no, <laughs> I had four ounces of weed. He'd spent a decade in prison for four and a half ounces of weed, which is basically like a brown paper sandwich bag full. My 19-year-old black brother had to pick 100 pounds of cotton a day to buy his freedom. Let me say that one more time. My black brother in the mid-90s had to pick 100 pounds of cotton a day to purchase his freedom. That's some ridiculous shit. Where was he? I'm assuming this was not Colorado. Texas. Texas. But it doesn't matter whether it's Colorado, Texas, Alabama, South Dakota, California, because you know what? That is the United States of America. It's all America. This was out of the realm of possibilities for Wanda. Even when she was rolling joints and smoking out in the open in college, she'd never personally suffered any consequences. Here I am going to a white university, sitting on the steps of Libby Hall with my white friends, and God knows how much, you know, you know, bad weed in between us as we're all rolling <laughs> joints, and CUPD would walk by and tell us to put it away, you know? Hey, kids, put it away, put it away. And we'd put it away, they'd walk away, and we'd pull it back out and start rolling again. <laughs> I mean, and then I find out that my brother got sent to prison? He was 19. I was 19 sitting on the steps of Libby Hall rolling weed. How is that my country? So, yeah, it became, um, it became painful. It became unreal. And I think it was, I think it was <laughs> my first understanding of what being black in America meant. And then what I found out was, you know, 800,000 people a year were arrested for simple possession back then. Um, approximately 75 to 85%, depending on what state you were in, of those arrests were black and brown, mostly boys between the ages of 17 and 24. And so when she opened the doors to her dispensary, she wasn't just thinking about the business opportunities. She was thinking about her brother and other folks like him caught on the wrong side of cannabis law. When Colorado's governor established a task force in 2012 to basically map out how a legal cannabis industry would look, Wanda was right there with a seat at the table. 
2013, she launched the Cannabis Global Initiative to work with legislators and policymakers to help shape messaging around legal weed, too. And she brings that change-making mindset into Simply Pure. Anytime you do something, you give people permission to shine, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I've been able to do anything, I hope that I've been able to give women permission to do this. Do you see part of your social justice mission being who you hire? Oh, of course. (laughs) Of course. Um, We are by far one of the most diverse shops in Colorado, which is difficult. I mean, I still get a lot of heat from, you know, certain black organizations as to why I don't have, you know, more black people working for me. And the answer, quite frankly, is we're in Colorado. And the sad part is, is not a lot of people of color or women tend to answer the ad sometimes to be able to work for a cannabis company. But, you know, there's only so far she can take things on her own. One big area Wanda wants to see changes in the cannabis industry is in the investor pool. Yeah, because all that stuff she was talking about before, the lawyers, licensing, regulations, it all adds up. In fact, to start a grow operation in Colorado, you're looking at about a million bucks. And Wanda says that right now, the investment money comes from a very specific group of people. It tends to be mostly white males. They've got the most um, the most money to be able to invest, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be able to bring on different types of investors and allowing for different types of investment to happen because it's very difficult for me, A, as a woman, B, as a black woman, to sit in front of a white guy who may not have any black friends or may not have any women friends, and for me to discuss, you know, what I believe is important about a business. It's been interesting the last few months we've been, you know, raising money and talking to people because Simply Pure is growing. Men, male investors, bottom line, how much money do we make at the end of the line and what is our um, exit strategy? So basically, how do I make my money back? How do we sell your business to make a lot more money? That's what Mm -hmm. men want to know or that's what the traditional investor wants to know who happens to be male. Female investors want to know what kind of business are you building? How is this business going to be around? How does this business make something better? How do women, Mm -hmm. do women enjoy working for your business? What are you doing for not only your customers, but what are you doing for your employees? Are you looking at um, offering benefits? What kind of things is this company going to be able to do for its people? I have yet to have a male investor ask me any of those questions. So it's interesting to see how men and women look at business. Um, Or I should say how traditionally bottom line investors look at business and how, you know, the new vision, which I think tends to be more female focused, looks at business. What Wanda just said, Caroline, is just one example, real world example of the difference it makes when women are in the industry. And having that kind of inclusiveness top of mind is important because Wanda thinks that we're going to see federal legalization in two years. That, to me, is a shocking projection, but she thinks it's possible, and I trust Wanda, Caroline. It's time for us to move forward. Um, I'm super excited to see more and more women um, find out the benefits of this plant, and once again, for women, just how much more safe this plant is for us um, over alcohol. I am a huge proponent, and I can't thank you enough for doing this podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been wonderful. I really need to get out to Colorado and come meet you yes, in person. You do. Yes, you do. Happy hour. Happy hour. You got four yes. hours. Come on now. We can do this. <laughs> 
And y'all, happy hour continues because up next, we're chatting with a purveyor of fine cannabis goods who's a little less traditional than Wanda. THC after the break. Sorry, I did a huge dab <laughs> before I walked over here, and my kitchen is a half a block away, and I'm just, like, still recovering, but I feel great. But I can hear every little thing, so I'm like, oh, my God, do I sound like a weird lurker panting? Like, <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not at all. Uh, so cool person that I am, I had to Google dabs. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a concentrated, waxy substance made from cannabis. And it gets you super high. Anyway, this is Maya Elizabeth, the founder of Ohm Edibles. And for her entire career, Maya's been making edibles and topical products with weed. You know, I truly believe that her proper name is cannabis. Yes, Maya refers to cannabis as a she. And her business is really expanding our ideas of what that she is good for, especially for women's bodies. Which brings us to Maya's work wife. Many women in Whoopi's family and many women close to her um, have had really intense menstrual cycles um, and realized that there, there really aren't many choices out there for women. Cannabis has always been an ally for her um, to help with her moon cycle. Yeah, that Whoopi. Like Sister Act Whoopi? Whoopi Goldberg. Like Jumpin' Jack Flash Whoopi? Like Ghost Whoopi. Like Sister Act 2 Whoopi? <laughs> Maya is the other half of Whoopi and Maya, a line of cannabis-infused products designed to help ease period pain. It's everything a lady needs on her monthly moon cycle. It's a medicated Epsom salt soak that comes in three flavors. It's a multi-herb topical that you can rub on your belly to take away your cramps. It's two types of raw cacao, which is a total superfood and divinely delicious. It's organic, vegan, raw, gluten-free, and fair trade. We have it in THC and CBD. And it's a multi-herb tincture that contains many different herbs that have been supporting women on their moon cycle for thousands of years and some superfoods and, of course, cannabis. So could you just clarify with um, the CBD, that's not the same as, I think people often mistake like, oh, well, that's just going to, to get you high somehow. But it's there's a difference, right? There is a difference, yeah. And CBD is not psychoactive. It does not get you high. Nope, that's right. The CBD cannabinoid gives you more of a relaxing body high feeling. And before you ask, no, you can't get these products shipped to you. I... Definitely checked more than once. They're only available in California and Colorado. Yeah, I keep trying to Amazon Prime it, but they're just like, no, <laughs> not going to happen. And when Whoopi and Maya first launched, there was a waiting list to order the products, which makes sense because these are the first of their kind, not just in the cannabis world, but also in the period world, which, Caroline, I guess is another way of saying, like, the world world. <laughs> It's really interesting to think about how few um, options there are out there for helping allevi alleviate that pain. I didn't realize how long overdue this conversation was. Um, if I were to ask you how often you felt pain or discomfort and you told me one week out of every month, I would tell you to go see a doctor and that maybe you had a problem with your immune system, you know. And when I think about 
what our world might look like if men menstruated. Like, would there be free sanitary supplies in the bathroom? Uh, would there be lots of different pharmaceutical prescription drugs to choose from, data, bodies of data and evidence that show us, you know, different studies that have happened, maybe you paid time off for your cycle? It, it does feel very, like, obvious and long overdue and niche at the same time. Upwards of 70% of menstruating folks experience chronically painful periods, or dysmenorrhea. And Whoopi is one of a growing number of advocates lobbying states with medicinal marijuana to include dysmenorrhea as a qualifying condition for it. But it's not all periods all the time. I mean, regardless of where we are on our moon cycles, women enjoy weed in all sorts of ways, which, like, is not news. And some surveys suggest that not only are women catching up to dudes when it comes to smoking weed— they're also surpassing them. Ladies, our time is now. We're the having a good time. <laughs> Whoopi and Maya has a range of customers, women and men, who use their products to help with symptoms of MS, injuries, cancer, endometriosis. So the philosophy that we have is really about cannabis being a superfood. You have one medicine, many ailments, desirable side effects versus one medicine, one ailment, undesirable side effects. And, um, and, and we get shoved in between these very harsh words like, is it adult use or is it, med or is it medical, you know? And what about everything in between, you know, like Earl Grey tea and flowers, chamomile, <laughs> um, wellness, <laughs> preventative, supplemental, self-care, Right. All those words mm -hmm. in between. To me, that's what cannabis is. So I think that when cannabis is put back into the healing herb family with other superfoods and nutrient dense ingredients, far superior medicines are made. Whoopi and Maya are following a long tradition of cannabis use to support health and especially women's health. To put them in context, the medicinal history of cannabis stretches back to ancient China and finds its way into Western medicine in 1839. Like this stuff has been used everywhere. And we mean everywhere. And by this stuff, we mean cannabis. And by cannabis, we mean she. Cannabis was doctor's favorite thing to recommend and prescribe. Like, she was the cure-all. She's so, like, unconditionally compassionate and generous and just such a shining all-star that's always an overachiever. Like, she, she does three, t three things at once. And she was commonly used as a topical pain reliever during childbirth, all caps, Caroline, <laughs> into the early 1900s. In fact, Queen Victoria's royal physician was a fan of cannabis treatments for stuff like painful menstruation, migraines, and insomnia, all of which affect women more than men. I mean, Caroline, I bet Queen Victoria would have been a Whoopi and Maya fan. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I feel cheated that I did not see the depiction of that in the TV show, Victoria, by the way. But now comes the sad trombone. Because in the 1930s, cannabis was criminalized. Why? Well, here's what Henry Anslinger, the head of the Federal Narcotics Bureau, had to say. There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz and swing, result from marijuana usage. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. Wow, so reefer madness is just a euphemism for being really fucking racist. And... 
notice how he calls it marijuana and not cannabis. Like, that whole thing was part of Anslinger and the newly established Federal Bureau of Narcotics' effort to rebrand cannabis as this marijuana weed associated with these swarthy men and Mexicans hanging out, and most distressingly to white America, potentially endangering female chastity. So, really, Maya's just helping return cannabis to its rightful place in the medicine cabinet because she really sees it as a force for medicinal good. Like, doesn't leave the house without it good. I start every day from head to toe with topicals. I mean, I walk this world with armor of protection of cannabinoids on my skin. So I I bathe in it every day. I do a head to toe body oil on my face every day, lady bits, everything. Um, I do a scoop of the CBD cacao in my coffee every morning, and and I consume THC very regularly. Um, It's truly a love for the plant that's kept it all together. A lot of women have kept it all together, too. Maya's company is an all-women collective, but she insists that it doesn't have a feminist mission. It's just what happened. So do you consider consider your business unladylike? No, not at all. Not at all. I think we we actually we we tend to work with mostly all women just because I mean no offense guys it's nothing personal at all. We just happen to be that way. We have a bunch of girls in the kitchen. That's how we are and we don't really mean to be kind of making products that appeal to women more than men. That's just by accident by making what we love kind of where we ended up, I guess. I don't really even see the gender at this point. I'm just here for cannabis. I'm here to make you know, products that help people and just educate. And all I see is cannabis. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so it's good. I don't I don't see any barriers with the gender thing. I actually feel pretty supported by men. So yeah, for Maya, it's not so much about breaking gender barriers, which is kind of ironic because she's done so much in the industry on behalf of women. I mean, obviously the Moon Cycle products, but even just helping folks see cannabis as something that can heal you rather than just get you high is a pretty important task. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, Maya's work is super beneficial. But our next cannabis rulemaker has a different take on gender dynamics at work in the industry. Cannabis counterculture has traditionally been very misogynistic. Like, you know, it's the whole buds and boobs uh, aesthetic I guess. And if you go to a cannabis cup nowadays, you know, you still see that, you know, topless girls trying to, like, get you to come to their booth and, like, do dabs or that that kind of scene. And I'm going to guess there are, no, there are no, like, bottomless dudes trying to do the same thing. It's just... Exactly. This is Mona Zhang, our joint-loving journalist we mentioned at the top of the show, who covers the cannabis beat. And P.S., the Cannabis Cup is basically like South by Southwest for weed, complete with seminars, trade shows, and competitions. Mona's judged it a couple of times, and she says it's not as fun as you would think to smoke on a deadline. We're gonna hear more about how she's making her mark in the cannabis world when we come back. Caroline, you're pushing your pun luck. I'm telling you.
I had a vision for a cannabis publication, actually, and I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to ra- find a co-founder and raise a bunch of money and like launch my dream weed magazine. And that didn't really happen, but I've just been, you know, bootstrapping my newsletter on the side and now covering things that I really do care about. I do have to ask, were you high when you did have that vision? <laughs> um, you know, I've been thinking about this publication since I was in college. Definitely some of that time I was high. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're back with Mona Zhang, a New York-based freelance cannabis journalist and founder of the daily cannabis newsletter Word on the Tree. We reached out to Mona because we wanted her 30,000-foot perspective from that tree. So tell me more about the inspiration beyond cannabis um, and where that personal passion comes from for you. Um, Well, I'm passionate about it just as an avid consumer, but I think what really prompted my desire to focus on this world is the criminal justice aspects of it. I mean, as an Asian woman, I'm very privileged to not be the target of drug enforcement in this country. And it's really upsetting to like when you start learning about the drug war and you start learning about the stats, about the racial disparities in drug enforcement. Um, As a consumer, it's just, it's really unfair. It's not fair that other people are getting put in jail for like the same thing that I'm doing. So that's really what prompted my desire to cover this this world. And that raises the second big reason we wanted to talk to Mona, because in addition to being a journalist covering the cannabis beat, she's also helping connect the stories about America's fastest growing industry with the havoc that marijuana law has wreaked on communities of color. And she's doing that as a woman of color, but one who enjoys a lot of cannabis privilege in the U.S. when it comes to stigmatization. I generally have found people to be very surprised to learn that I smoke weed. Um, you know, in I remember this one time when I was in college, I had invited I, a f- friend of a friend was looking for a place to smoke. And I was like, tell them to come over to my room because, like, you know, I smoke weed in my dorm room. And when they arrived, one of them was like, oh, my God, like, you don't you don't look like you smoke, you know, and was like, you don't look at all like you smoke weed. And I'm like, I just invited you guys over to smoke weed. Like, I don't know what you were expecting. (laughs) I think they are. People do have still have that, like, stereotypical image of, you know, a stoner in their minds. Mona gets it. A Chinese-American woman doesn't really conform to stoner expectations. And to be honest, she's not who a lot of Asian-Americans would peg for a stoner either. Generally, East Asian cultures are very conservative from, like, socially conservative and very conservative about drugs. Um, I think it's quite sad because things like cannabis have been used in traditional medicines and Eastern traditional medicines for millennia. And now thanks to the sort of U.S.-led war on drugs, people have forgotten that. And, and those stigmas are very strong in China and within Asian American communities in the U.S. Becoming a full-time weed journalist, not exactly the dream career Mona's parents had in mind for their daughter. My parents were pretty tiger parenty when I was growing up. You know, the whole Asian parents, like, must get A's in school, learn piano and violin and that whole thing. And um, 
you know, they were just really uneducated about cannabis and drugs in general. And um, so I had to educate them. Like when I first told my dad what I wanted to do, the first thing he asked me was, what's the difference between marijuana and opium? And I was like, oh, facepalm, like I have a lot of explaining to do. So, you know, I, I showed my parents documentaries and it actually really helped because the very next day after I told him that, there was a front page story in the New York Times about chefs from New York City leaving to go to Colorado and work in the edibles scene there. And that just, it totally legitimized it in his eyes. You know, and he saw being a, like a Chinese businessman, he saw the business opportunity in it. And after that, he's been totally supportive. But there was a period of time where I had to educate my my parents about it. And I have also educated my extended family about it. And now, you know, I have members of my extended family sending me uh, clips from, you know, old Chinese, traditional Chinese medical texts that have entries about cannabis and that kind of stuff. So that's been cool. Menace's stereotypes about cannabis working against the fight for acceptance, not to mention legalization, all the time. And she sees part of her job as a journalist to really shed some light, though it can be hard sometimes. So the biggest cannabis conference in the U.S. Uh, happens in Vegas every year, MJ BizCon. And there was a party. Last time I went, there was a party. All these parties are not affiliated with the conference, but all these cannabis companies who go there for the conference, they throw these parties afterwards and I went to this party at a strip club, and one of the women I was with, she was so angry. She was like, these guys would not be cool with going to a cannabis industry party at, like, with male strippers around. Why is this okay? You know, so that kind of stuff is still very pervasive in the industry. When Mona got back from that conference, she wanted to write an article about the strip club thing. But none of the women she spoke with were willing to go on the record about it. They didn't want to come off as whistleblowers or jeopardize their careers. You know, being the woman, ruining the good time in the boys' club. Every time. I think that there's still, like, plenty of sexism in the industry, plenty of misogyny in the industry. And, you know, it, it's the same as any other industry. And in some cases, it's even worse with any, like, cultivation, extraction. These areas tend to be very male-dominated. Do you feel like from moms who you've talked to, uh, especially who are working in the industry, is motherhood in particular a liability? Do you think it's a deterrent for more women getting in the industry? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm actually working on a piece right now about moms and marijuana. Um, I think it can be. Um, I just spoke to a cannabis entrepreneur in Colorado who's a mom who really she had to hide her involvement in the industry for a long time because she she shared custody with an ex um, her with her kid and she was afraid that that was going to be used against her in the courts with regards to their custody agreement. Um, I think that there's not only danger from a legal perspective, whether it's regarding custody of your kids, um, there's also that social stigma. I've talked to parents whose kids' friends found out or told their parents that their friends' parents work in the industry. And then those other parents will be like, oh, no, like my child is no longer going to be friends with your child because you work in the industry. So there's like 
you know, there are barriers from a legal perspective and there are barriers from a social perspective. Um, I, I wanted to write about the double standard facing, you know, women of color versus white women. And a lot of women of color in the industry that I reached out to, they were like, this is exactly why I don't want to talk to you on the record about this, which, you know, I totally un- understand. But there, there is that fear there. Mona says moms on the consuming side are also vulnerable. You know, people don't so often get their children taken away solely because of cannabis use anymore, at least not in New York. Um, But if their kids uh, have already been taken away from them, testing positive for marijuana will be a really difficult barrier to getting them back. Even in states that have legalized cannabis, even in Colorado, if women, pregnant women, disclose that they've been using marijuana to their doctors, they're mandatory reporters, and often they'll get CPS involved. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. But just so folks know, we don't 100% know for sure that consuming cannabis during pregnancy is safe. And a big reason we don't know that is because of federal marijuana laws that restrict research. But as with all of our politics right now, while the federal level might be a garbage fire... (laughs) On the local level, some good things are happening. Mona's got lots of examples of women in the industry who've devoted themselves to moving the needle on weed and issues of social justice. Yeah, like there's this program in Oakland spearheaded by a woman of color, Councilwoman Delcy Brooks. Oakland was really the first city to put in place an equity program that allows people from neighborhoods that have been disproportionately affected by the drug war or people who have former drug convictions it lets them jump to the front of the line. It gives, it gives them priority in terms of applying for cannabis business licenses. So I think those sorts of programs are really key moving forward, not just legalization, but ensuring that everybody gets a seat at the table with regards to um, the industry side of things and the business side of things, because it is not fair that, you know, we put people in prison for selling weed and then and disproportionately black and brown people. And now that it's legal, it's just like rich, white Wall Street guys who are making the money from it. Thanks in part to the reporting Mona's doing, attitudes around cannabis are changing, even for Mona's tiger parenty parents. Both my parents have been wanting to try cannabis and like experience what getting high feels like. And neither of them are smokers. And so it was really uh, kind of a struggle coaching them to inhale the smoke. Yeah, what are what are you using? Am I envisioning a bong or a pipe? A joint. I'm a joint girl. <laughs> okay, okay. <Yeah. laughs> and so there's that challenge. And then both of them took one hit and, like, you know, had a coughing fit and— didn't like the experience of smoking so much. So, yeah, they gave it the college try. You yeah, know? yeah. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really like, I'm so thankful to my parents for being so open minded about it. I like, if you would have told me 10 years ago that one day I'd be like smoking weed at my parents' house, I would not believe you. <laughs> but now it's totally cool. <laughs> Cannabis. So cool, even tiger parents like it. You know, Caroline, at the top of the show, We listed all those headlines about women and weed. They're slaying. They're clapping back. They're saying, yas, queen, yas, to all that green. 
But aside from women, the thing that they all had in common was this emphasis on dollar signs. Like, that was the big success story. Like, women, you can become just as rich as the men. And a big thing that we've learned in talking to these women in three very different, though intersecting, corners of the industry is that they kind of don't care. I mean, it's about... Establishing businesses, yes, and it is about making money, but it is so much more than that for women because, as we've learned, cannabis is so beneficial for women potentially in so many different ways. So not to be super choose your choice about this, but I do think that a lot of women are choosing to not just break into this industry to make a buck, but to really make a difference whether it's easing women's period pain or giving women jobs they can feel safe at because they won't be hit on by a bunch of aggressive drunk dudes or shedding light on these day-to-day situations and communities that are suffering while the legal side is thriving. But Caroline, the only bummer about this episode is that we never got high doing it. Let's go take care of this. Let's go, um, let's go do one of those dabs. A little dab will do us, maybe. Okay, listeners, marijuana share your cannabis thoughts with us. Hotbox our inboxes with your letters. If there's anyone listening in the cannabis, legal or otherwise, we'd love to hear from you. Also, very exciting, we met another amazing weed lover in our reporting for this episode who we didn't have time to include, but... We're giving her her own bonus episode. This woman's name is Becca Grumet, and she's going to tell us a little bit about weed and the queer community. <laughs> I just, you know, they definitely, <laughs> when you when you describe that Venn diagram, I just, I just see a picture of me. Um, <laughs> just a circle. <laughs> it's just my face. <laughs> um, oh, and by the way, Becca also wrote a weed musical. A weed musical? A weed musical. Watch out, Hamilton. For sure. You're not going to want to miss this addendum to women in weed. And you won't forget when it's coming out because y'all, <laughs> we're dropping it on 420. And y'all, we have a couple of announcements. This is the last episode of season one. We're taking a short break to make a bunch more episodes and season two will debut on May 22nd. Think of it as our spring break. We'll miss you. We'll be drunk. But don't worry. You can keep up with us on social media at Unladylike Media and in our newsletter. Also, you can come see us at our live show in New York on May 16th. And Atlanta, we've got something special planned for you, too. So keep in touch, y'all. And remember, we will be releasing bonus episodes while we're on our little break. So sign up for Stitcher Premium to hear those at stitcher.com slash premium. Code unladylike. And you know, if you've listened to all the episodes, one big thing you can do tell your friends to listen go on itunes rate us review us there are all sorts of ways to keep supporting unladylike even when we are on spring break and while we're away we want to hear from you one of the episodes we're working on is about professional dress and we want to know what y'all think what does it mean to you to dress like a professional i'm immediately imagining the bane of button-up shirts where you always have the gap the boob gap i don't even have boobs really and i get the boob gap it makes no sense to me but how is your job or industry special any of y'all work or study in fashion and want to chime in call our hotline and share your thoughts you might wind up in the episode 
212-627-2628-GALPAL is the number. And while you're at it, tell us what other topics you want to see Unladylike tackle. Leave a message on our hotline or email us at hello at unladylike.co. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subern is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special thanks to Peter Clowney, Brett Morris, Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California, and Klaus Larson at KUVO in Denver, Colorado. And we're your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. And remember, got a problem? Get high. <laughs> yes! Get Unladylike. Oh, right, okay. Caroline, do you think Wanda's smoked with Barack and Michelle? Yes. Yes. And if she didn't, I don't care because I'm still going to imagine that she did. Yeah. Yeah. That can be our truth. That is our truth. Stitcher.